comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 77 of the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by Brad Milo, Johnny M, and Russell Latham. How you guys doing tonight? Good. What's up? Pretty good. Hey, man. That didn't sound like you, Brad. I think there's some internet trickery going on. Good evening. Oh, we're joined by the president tonight. <laughs> What's up? So tonight... <laughs> Tonight we're here to discuss episode 306 of The Walking Dead, Hounded. But before we do that, Russ, why don't you tell these lovely people about our sponsors? This episode of The Walking Dead TV podcast is sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com, where you can save tons of money off your comics, trades, hardcovers, um, shirts, gadgets, all kinds of cool stuff there at DCBService.com. Um, this month, some highlighted specials are... Walking Dead monthly number 106. You can get it for 40% off, and that would be $1.79. So regular cover price is $2.99. You can get it for $1.79. There are tons of Walking Dead-related T-shirts that you can pre-order as well, all 40% off, so great deal. Um, my favorite for this month, as I discussed last week, was... The Walking Dead silicone ice tray, and actually, you can't. You don't. You can make more than just ice in it. You can make gummies or chocolates or whatever. So they're really cool. There's like zombie heads, and I think an arm, and the the Walking Dead logo. Um, and it's twenty five percent off. You can get it for eleven twenty four. So that that's a really cool um cool deal. There's tons and tons of stuff. Um, again, all of the Marvel and uh, DC hardcovers this month are fifty percent off. So if you've been wanting some uh. If you, if you want to get caught up on some of the trades, especially the new DC-52 stuff, uh, now's a good time to do that. Uh, they're still having bundles of the new Marvel Now uh, uh, comics going on, so you can get a bundle for 50% off of all of the Marvel Now stuff coming out that month. Um, another uh, issue I'd like to highlight, just for, for you genre fans out there, there's a new Star Wars number one comic coming out from Dark Horse, and it is 50% off this month, $1.49. Um, and it's written by Brian Wood, so it's it's kind of the first new, like, regular original trilogy Star Wars series that, uh, that's that been kicked off under the, the just plain Star Wars name, I think, since the original 77 uh, series, so... Uh, I'm look. I'm looking forward to that. And really cool Alex Ross cover on that, by the way. So, DCBService.com. We thank them for their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. Johnny, I believe we have some feedback from last week's episode of the Walking Dead. Why don't you play that now? Okay, I have a few from Say the Word. 
Uh, first email from Angel. She says, first off, let me say that Danny from iTunes is a pud. <laughs> wow. Uh, she... <laughs> well, hey. She says, Penny remained calm until he pulled her hair accidentally. Does this mean that walkers can be calm and or feel pain? I guess I never really thought about that. Any thoughts of uh, what's the history of zombies feeling pain, Jordan? There's really no precedent for that, is there? I don't know if you want if you want to describe it as feeling pain and feeling like, you know, when you reach out and touch a hot stove, your your brain automatically pulls back from that. Um, maybe they can feel that, but not the actual pain. Their brain just knows to pull away. You know, maybe that part of the brain is left, or maybe it's the reverse, that they feel something, but they don't know that it's actually pain. They just know that they're feeling something. I kind of mentioned last week that when he started playing the music, it seemed like she calmed back down again. So uh, so it seems like there's something going on there. I'm not sure exactly, you know, w- what we should take from this moving forward. Maybe with the governor having his own little lab down there, we might see some... Uh, more information about experiments or what they've tried or what they know that works, you know, things like that. Hard hard to say. She mentioned some other parts of the show that are, are, were kind of cleared up uh, this week, so I'll skip over those. Uh, she says, Daryl waltzes in, grabs a newborn baby like an expert, feeds her her first bottle. Okay, suspension of disbelief is one thing, but not even one sentence to explain how a man like Daryl came by these skills. Although I love the scene, it was a bit awkward to take in. Yeah, Daryl's kind of super Daryl. Um, he reminds me of Kate on Lost a little bit. He can do a little bit of everything. But to be uh, fair, holding a baby correctly is not rocket science. True, there's a lot of people who can't do it for some unexplainable reason, but it's not that difficult. Is he? If he's ever been by a baby before and it's been yelled at for holding it wrong, he'll probably remember. He was comfortable. Maybe that was the... Uh... It's not a time bomb, it's a baby. Oh, you don't know babies, Jordan. Oh, yes, Especially I the do. stinky ones. You know how many people are in my family? I would agree with Jordan. Uh, I've, you know, seen and experienced it myself, my own children or other people's children, where they're just going nuts, and somebody, for some un- inexplicable reason, will pick the baby up, and they'll just, the baby will just shut up immediately. So once that happens, it gets easy to hold that baby. So I don't think, like, I don't think it's, rocket science either yeah you can shake them really hard too no you can't the walking dead tv podcast does not endorse anything coming out of the mouth of johnny m we also received an email from mark uh but mark's bit of uh predicting was wrong so we'll thank mark for his email and move on uh he did say thank you guys for your awesome work we really appreciate it we got an email from Damon. He says, first off, I was happy to hear everybody back on the podcast since the storm. Really enjoy the interaction between everyone. Uh, thank you for that. He says, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. Three things I wanted to bring up. First, please don't let Carol be the search for Sophia part two. So we think, uh, I guess as we cover this episode, that will be cleared up a bit. Second, in Say the Word, did you notice the sheriff's duffel bag in the governor's office when Michonne looked around the room? Yes. Maybe foreshadowing, but maybe it means nothing. What do you guys think? Yeah, there was some discussion about this on the Facebook page. At first, a couple people thought it wasn't the last time we saw it at the Vatos, but then we also actually last saw it uh, in the season two finale. Andrea had it, and she dropped it. Well, last time we saw it, she dropped it. Uh, I guess after she left the farm, but before she ran into Michonne, uh, just before. So how close to the farm has the governor's people been? I'm wondering if the fire may have piqued their curiosity and had them go back and look and find it. 
but yeah, I know I noticed that, and I can't believe I didn't uh, say something about that last week. But uh, yeah, I thought that was it's interesting. Prob- it's probably the same duffel bag because sheriff departments usually only have one duffel bag a piece, right? Yes, but in the world of television, at this point, why would they introduce a new sheriff's bag that just looks the same and leave it in the background and not mention it if it wasn't the same bag? I have a feeling it was more of a, oh, this prop would look good back here type of thing instead of a story element. We'll see. Uh, Damon says, and finally, I really wanted to see more of T-Dog, really enjoyed his character, and was looking forward to see what would have happened when he and Merle met face-to-face again, but sorry to say that won't happen now. And he will be truly missed. R.I.P. T.D. Yes. Thanks for all the great shows and keep up the good work. So thanks, Damon. Thanks for everybody who uh, emailed in. And I think we do have one voicemail as well, don't we, Brad? Yeah, it's uh, about last week's episode. So uh, this is going to be a two-part deal here. One part uh, his audio, one part mine to support what he's saying or to examine what he's saying. So here we go. Hey, guys. Just wanted to drop in up your line saying I really enjoy the podcast. I like the job you guys do on that analyzing the show scene by scene, adding in your particular observations. You guys do a really good job. Um, just found you guys on iTunes um, earlier this year. One comment I'd like to make about last week's episode. I, I know I may be crazy. I've watched the episode and, and the scene over and over. It kind of sounds to me like when Rick is stabbing the bloated body of the zombie, which may or may not have consume Lori's body. He's yelling, slut, slut, slut. I realize a person can convince himself, you know, words being said in a song or maybe dialogue in a show, a movie, and that what he hears might be totally different to what's being said. But boy, I'll tell you, it sounds like in his fractured state of mind, he's finally uh, showing his frustration and anger at Lori. But, you know, I know I may be crazy. Um, if you say I am, I'll still listen to you guys. Keep up the good work. Danny O, the man in ground. Danny O, I don't think you're crazy. <clears throat> I grabbed the audio from the clip that he's talking about, and I'm going to play that next. I've got it queued up. So what you're going to hear is Rick stabbing the belly. You're going to hear that five times before he, Rick ever makes a sound himself. And then he's, he makes three noises. The three of them sound different to me. I can hear kind of what Danny O was saying. So let me play that for you guys right now. You're, like I said, you're going to hear five trucks of the knife, and then you'll hear Rick making noise. I think those are just kind of grunts. I do too. Um, and I realize you guys are listening to it over Skype, but the last guttural noise that he makes almost could possibly maybe rhyme with the word slut. I'm not sure, but I really think he's just in anguish, you know, making noises of frustration and rage. I don't think he's saying that, Danny, but, you know, we could be hearing it different. Like you said, people hear what they want to hear. And um, But anyway, I, I thought that was a, a neat observation. Um, something tells me that that's not what he's saying, especially because of what we hear Rick say about Lori in the episode we're going to talk about. Right, right. Today. And from external evidence also, I, I think it was kind of a cool thing in the episode. He only said one word. So if he was yelling other words before that, it would kind of negate the whole idea of him not saying the word like the episode title is until the very end. Right. 
anyway, thank you for your voicemail. Uh, we really appreciate that. I've got a, I've got a, uh, I have iTunes going, um, pulled up, so I might as well go ahead and read. We got two new iTunes reviews. Uh, Johnny, who was the, uh, the girl that sent the email that said, um, that one, uh, iTunes reviewer was a pud? Angel. Okay, Angel, I think I got another pud for you. Huh. Uh, November 15th, I, Terra Nova fan, says, well, there's your problem right there. <laughs> yeah, you're I'm glad a, you said it. You're a Terra Nova fan. This is probably why your taste in uh, TV shows and uh, podcasts are, are the way they are. One star review, boring and terrible. I listened to the first episode of this podcast, and I found I could not listen anymore. They are boring, dry, and talk way too much about the comics. If you want a real podcast to listen to, go to blank, 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 Walking Dead podcast for a much more fun podcast about this show. I'm not going to pimp somebody else's show. I'm sorry. That's why I blanked it. They can pay for a sponsorship if they want yeah, their exactly. name read. Um, no, I, mean, I, I got no problem with that. If you want to pay us, you can talk all the crap you want. I can read it. I, don't, I was being silly. No, I'm, I'm being silly back, but we still don't need to read it. Okay. Um, yeah, Terra Nova fan, I think you answered um, your own question there. You listened to one episode of our show. So, anyways. And the first, I think our uh, first episode might have been really boring. Well, you know, that's the way it is with new shows. you got to even – I'm sorry, even Terra Nova, you know, the first episode was like, what? And uh, they never did find their feet, but – is that the dinosaur one or the one where everybody loses power? That was the dinosaur, the dinosaur one. Dinosaur one. Oh. The one where everybody loses power is Revolution, which is... I know. Heads and shoulders above Terra Nova. Anywho, the second iTunes review we have is um, five-star review by Outlawed Paint, but the title of the review is Reread the Comics, guys. Uh, Uh-oh. He says, he says, Sup, in your last podcast, you didn't think the fight was staged in the comics. It was. I said so. Man. Well... It's been a while since we read the comics. Me too, but I'm and, just saying uh, one of there was at least some, you know, discussion about well, it whether it was or not. Let me finish his review here. Um I actually can't read the next line of his review because it is a spoiler for the comics. Let's see. Uh remember after blank 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 and one of the fights was also in there one of the fighters was also there getting ready to fight. The other fighter comes in mad cuz he got his teeth knocked out and stabs and kills the other fighter, thus making Fnoyce fight in the arena where she kills the fighter, all the zombies with Roaster. So anyway, he's he's comparing the, you know, he's telling us what happened in the comics. Um, even, I bleep some of that, even if you guys think we need to bleep more of that, we can. We can just cut out this review. Although it's a five-star review, and the end of it says, best podcast out there for Walking Dead, but please reread the comics so you remember. Thank you for the iTunes review, but uh, in future, you can always email us at comments at walkingdeadtv.com. It's a lot more direct and more likely to get to us than an iTunes review. I want to say, I want to give a special shout-out to iTerranova fan. Um, hope you're doing well. <laughs> Something tells me he's not going to hear this. He's not watching Terra Nova for sure. Well, he might be. He, <laughs> he, he might just be has it on VHS. VR. He watches it over and over again. Yeah, he's he's got it on loop. Okay. All righty. So without any further ado, let's talk about episode six of season three of The Walking Dead, Hounded. So the episode starts with Merle and three of his fellow Woodburyans as they search for Michonne in the woods. They've been ordered by the governor to track her down. So she did not get away scot-free like she might have thought at the end of the last episode. I believe it's pronounced Michonne. Well, if if you're Michael Rooker, maybe. I love the way Rooker says that. I love the way he says Michonne. He's relishing the whole word. 
so they come across uh, some zombie parts. And one of the guys realizes that it spells G and O with the two arms and the two legs. And then the torso of the zombie is face down. Or at least uh, torso down, meaning it's a back. So it's a message that says, go back. Uh, they decide not to follow her really smart advice. And she jumps out of a tree. She kills two of the guys, Tim and Crowley. Uh, Merle shoots at Michonne and hits her in the leg. But she escapes into the forest because there's a whole bunch of zombies around. And so that leaves Merle and uh, Garulio, although he calls him Neil because he can't pronounce Garulio. And uh, they, they take out the two uh, dead men because they don't let their own rise. That's Merle says that's their whole thing. They do not let their, their own turn into the biters. Michonne's um, darting in and out from behind trees and like always ending up behind them and stuff. It was a little silly, but I, I think the reason that it's silly is because she's a character that probably needs a little more backstory to fill in. You mean like any backstory? Yeah, well, well, right, but you can get away with no backstory with like normal everyday characters like, all right, redneck, fine, sheriff, fine. You know, like, you know what I mean? But when you have ninja samurai skill person, you really need to explain it a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I think we're going to get that. We haven't seen many flashbacks about other people, but I think we're going to get some Michonne in the future. Yeah, I have a feeling, especially the way this episode ended up, she's going to have some explaining to do, I think, to the people she's come across. Uh, let, let's just go through this whole storyline now, because we, we split up a few times uh, throughout the story. So they follow her. I like it when you do that. I like it when you consolidate, because after a while it gets kind of confusing. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> you know, if, if it's not necessary to tell the story in that order, I, I would just recommend, I would suggest, uh, I second your notion. All righty. I second that emotion, <laughs> as they say. So, uh, you know, Garulio, who's been kind of antsy, kind of scared of going out in the woods in the first place the whole time, uh, by the end of this, by the time Merle makes him kill, or at least put out of his misery and stop from rising, uh, either Tim or Crowley, I forget exactly which one, he, after he does that, he's kind of like, okay, well, let's go after her, and Merle says, uh, no, she's, you know, she's heading into the quote-unquote red zone, she's wounded, she's essentially dead, we're gonna go back, we're gonna tell the governor we got her, and that'll be that. And uh, Gorhulio, you know, stands up to him and says, no, we're, we're going to go after her. And he says, you know what? You're right. We're not, you're not going to tell the governor that. And he shoots him right in the head. He gave him the uh, he gave him the misdirection first. He's like, what is that, a bird? What is he <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is he <laughs> Never fall for the old bird trick. Did anybody else think whenever he said his last name, did anybody else in their head hear Cornholio? <laughs> I will now. <laughs> yeah, I did. Both times. Merle is, uh, it's funny, he's kind of bouncing back and forth right now between badass and, like, weasel. You know, like, really bad dude versus, like, sniveling little weaselly guy. You guys feel that at all? Yeah, a little bit. I thought they tried to make the jump in the, you know, in the um, fight that we talked about last episode. Brad, you had mentioned that you felt like it solidified him as badass and stuff. Yeah. But he's not acting really badass here, is he? He's just kind of like a, I don't know. Well, I mean, he he seemed, uh, seemed quote-unquote, normal moral to me until he's like, nah, we're just going to lie to the governor. Yeah. You know, that's, that's your weasel. And I, I know we kind of have moved past the this train a little bit, but I just got to jump on your, your ninja thing with Michonne. The more I think about it, the sillier it is. That's why you're not supposed to think about it. Why are you whispering? So no one hears me. 
She does it later in the show also, which we'll get to here in a minute or two, but it's just, he walks, okay, we'll get to that scene in a minute, but I guess we'll bring it up now. He walks into the middle of a huge open area. The camera almost does like a 360 around him, so she's nowhere around. It's a very Jurassic Park shot. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, boom, she's there. I just, you know, whatever. That that was that was to borrow your term, Johnny. Bit eye rolling. And then the heads were rolling. Am I right? Uh, never mind. Boom. So we'll pick up with that storyline in a bit when it uh, comes together with the rest of the plot line. But back at the prison, uh, Rick picks up the telephone like we saw at the end of last episode, and he hears a woman's voice. Uh, she tells him they're in a safe place, they're away from the zombies. Uh, he tries to get her to tell her where exactly they are, but she won't tell him, and she ends the conversation. So, I think she says either I'll call back in two hours, or she doesn't say anything. But at one point, she says she'll call back in two hours. So, yeah, that was in. He picks it up, it, ring, you know, it, ring, he, it rings, he picks it up, and this time it's a man's voice on the phone. And, he, and he's you know, pleading for, you know, let our group in, if, if your show's safe. You know, I've got a son, he pauses, and a newborn... And, you know, he doesn't want to, but he admits his wife is dead. And when the man asks how she died, Rick uh, doesn't want to answer. And the man cuts the conversation short. And was it between the first and second call and the, or the second and third call where Rick gets cleaned up and heads back to the rest of the group? I think it was in between the, the first two. So in between the first two, uh, he heads back to the rest of the group. Uh, before that, he, you know, showers or he at least cleans up. He puts on a a clean set of clothes and he at least acknowledges the group and that he's not in a <laughs> crazed murderous rage anymore. He's at least calmed down and uh, they talk to him for a few minutes, but then he heads back to the phone room. And, and at some point Herschel comes in and uh, they talk for a bit and Herschel explains, you know, your wife was going to tell you that she was sorry. She was sorry that all this happened. She never got a chance to, but that's all, that's why I'm relaying the message now. Um, she really wanted to atone for things. And when Rick explains about the telephone call, Herschel picks up the phone, listens for a second, puts it back down and offers to stay with Rick. But Rick says, no, this is something he needs to do alone. Let me ask you guys a question. Did you recognize these voices? I know. I was trying to. You know, ever since that one dude said something about us talking about the comics too much in the show, I feel like that's all we've done since <laughs> since uh, he brought that up. But it's hard to, to talk about this storyline without comparing it. So can we separate the comic from this as, as readers of the comic? Well, I think once it happens in the show, we go ahead and spoil the comic. That's what we've done. Okay. All right. That's what so, we've done with all the other major events. Eventually, we find out what the deal is with this. So, and and we'll say that it was this was similar in the comic. It didn't happen quite this way in the comic. It was always we assumed it was always the same person that Rick spoke to on the phone in the comic book. Um, so, I imagine the four of us kind of expected that to be the case here. And uh, although and, I should say Russ did hypothesize last week uh, in a part that I cut from the final episode, so it's not to spoil anybody, I believe, or it might have ended up in the spoiler zone. Um, he hypothesized that this might happen, or something very similar might happen. So props to him. Yay. Okay. Uh, I was, <laughs> was very that hear... was a very half-hearted yay, Russ. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was I was expecting to hear Lori's voice first, and when it came up, not her voice. I thought, okay, this is new and different. So at that point, I didn't know what to expect. You know whose voice I thought was the male voice? Because it was very, I think they were playing up the distortion angle and the fact that it was a phone call. I thought it was Rick's voice for a minute. 
Um, and then, you know, we find out later it was, you know, it was Jim. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't Rick, but I, I, and I didn't, I, <clears throat> I knew it wasn't Shane and I knew it wasn't Dale. I but thought it I might thought, have been supposed to be Shane. Yeah, it it didn't have enough. I, I don't know. Shane had a pretty distinctive, you know, the, he, the, his yeah, drawl that, or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I I did. I thought it, maybe it was Rick. Like it was again, and it kind of fit in. And then I was like, well, th- I I couldn't figure out who the female was at first, and and then it you know obviously at the end it made sense. But uh, but I, I thought it was cool. It just occurred to me that if we could actually listen to the to the voices. Uh, what a great thought, idea. Yeah. <laughs> what a wondrous age of technology we live in. <laughs> um, here's the first voice. We can pull our way. We, we can help you. I'd have to talk to the group. We'll p- put them on. Let me make a case. Let me talk to them first. Please, please, don't don't go. Just please. We're good people here. We, ju- we just need some help. And we, we can help I'll you. I'll call back in two hours. Please. <laughs> Knowing now who that's supposed to be, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the actual actress. I, I I believe it actually was. I know Lori it definitely was, and Amy it actually was. Um, okay. Jim and Jackie, I'm not entirely sure, but I got the impression that that everyone was really who they were supposed to be. Okay, which is really cool. That was a pretty powerful Andrew Lincoln scene. I mean, that was yeah. That, that, he's got some chops. These last three episodes for him were great. Yeah, he's he's really putting his best best stuff in. Here's the second. How many people have you killed? Four. Two outsiders who tried to draw on me. One one threw me to Walker's. The other one, he was one of our own. He lost it. Lost what? Who he was. He threatened me. Tried to kill me, so so I killed him. How'd you lose your wife? How do you know I had a wife? You have a boy and a baby. That does not sound like Jim to me, the actor. Yeah, it's hard, hard to, say to tell. I mean, it's been it's been a while, but do you see where I kind of got Rick from that, or am I just like losing it completely? No, I can definitely. Um, it was very similar to Rick that. The, the cadence in his voice and the um, the way he would speak, it, it, it's similar. I can see why you might have thought it was him. Um, knowing that it's not him, you know, makes more sense. But I still don't think that sounds like the Jim that I remember. Of course, like Russ, like uh, Jordan said, we haven't heard Jim's voice in a while. Now, knowing where this was headed because of the comic, did, did they swerve you guys at any point? Were you thinking at any point, maybe this is a real phone call and they went in a totally different direction? No, There was no, about three never. seconds where I did, but then I was like, nah, they're, they're, they're not going to do when, that. When he asked, how do you know that I was married, and they had the quick answer that you, you already told us, you have a, you know a baby and a son, then I was like, oh, like, for, like you said, for a second, I was like, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is legitimate. But uh, Johnny M, you just got lawyered. Yep. I never I never thought of it that way because I was thinking this is too good of a of a storyline not to not to utilize. I wonder how people that didn't read the comics if they were, you know, what lines they were thinking along. Well, that's that's one of the things I was going to mention where we get back to Herschel. But I thought it was really cool because the way that that Herschel played that was 
for for people that hadn't read the book at all, didn't know what was going on, they could see that and think, okay, Herschel picked up the phone and you know maybe he he heard a dial tone, maybe he didn't. Um, he kind of left Rick alone, or maybe it it worked both ways. Like if 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 you didn't read into that, you were fine, and it seemed like Herschel was playing along. If you thought Rick was going crazy. Then it was cool, too, because the way that Herschel played it was Rick needs this. Like, this is Rick's way of moving past the guilt. Like, he is going to, you know, have this conversation or think what he's having as a conversation. He's gone through this crazy experience. I mean, Herschel's been through it himself. And I think that was him looking to Rick when he put the phone down and and he said, you know, maybe I'll stay with you. And, And Rick says no. Uh, that's why Herschel just left. I think he knew, okay, I'm going to let Rick deal with this his way. I don't think Herschel looked at Rick and said, holy crap, he's lost it. He's crazy. And, you know, we're all screwed now. I think he, he thought of it as, okay, this is him working it out and I'm going to give him a space. So I, I just, I just thought that that worked really well having Herschel come into that scene and then go out the way he did. Here's the third phone call. You didn't want to tell him how your wife died? No, I just lost her, but but if that's what it takes... It'd be good. You should talk about it, Rick. That sounds... How do you know my name? That was a short one. That definitely sounded like Jackie, though. The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> it's coming yeah, from inside yeah, his I think head. That, I think that sounded a lot like the Jackie I remember as well. And I'll, before we started listening to these voices, you were in the middle of describing what was going on, and we kind of we kind of cut off your description about what's been happening with all these phone calls. So um, why don't you clue us in with? I guess we've kind of done that by listening to the phone calls. <laughs> you know, he keeps he keeps getting them. It's different people every time. Well, but it's important to discuss the content, so let's, let's go through that. So when Rick talks to who we later find out is Jackie, uh, or at least uh, the voice of Jackie in his head, uh, she tries to ta- tell him that he should talk about his wife's death. He should work through it. Um, and then finally, he talks to none other than Lori, or at least again, the Lori in his head. She explains that it was Amy, Jim, and Jackie, all, all who died in the first season, by the way. And uh, this is where he you know, breaks down, says, you know, I loved you. I never got to say it. I wanted, you know, make a, a safe place for us. And then I was going to go there, but I didn't want to open that door until we were safe. But I did love you. I do love you. Uh, he breaks down crying. And then um, she she continues to talk to him a little bit, but he kind of, it's breaking up. And he, he finally stands up, hangs up the phone. He goes in and he holds the baby for the first time. Let's listen to, to Lori's voice. He's just staring at the phone now. It's like he knows what's going on. How did you know my name? Because we know you. How do you know me? And you know them, Rick. The people you were talking to today, that was Amy, Jim, Jackie. 
Completely and totally sounds like Sarah Wayne Callies. And it definitely was. She actually yeah, called it... in from Vancouver, I believe, or at least somewhere in Canada where she was on another set, and she did that conversation. Uh, th- she acted out that conversation live with Andrew Lincoln. On that phone? Yes. That's awesome. That So that was an actual... Or I guess they could have pumped in her voice from another source, but um, sure. it was at least live in the room when he was talking to her. That's awesome. Two out of three people that answered my tweet uh, did think it was real for short periods of time. Oh, yeah? So I guess if you didn't read the comics, I guess there was a shot. Even though if if you didn't stop long enough to say how the hell is a phone working. um, Well, I mean, phone lines are separate than the power lines. A lot of times if your power goes out, if you have a actual plugged-in landline phone, it'll continue to work if it's not an electronic phone. Well, yeah, and what was awesome was it was an old-school rotary phone. I mean, it was like, it just, I don't know, it just added to the to the creepiness factor. It added to the, you know, kind of the mystery of it all. I just, I just it, it, it came across very well. I think having the other voice. I agree. Voice, if, it, if it had sounded like a, you know, a phone that Jack Bauer would pick up, beep, 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 yeah. you know, one of those, it would have, it would have been odd. But the, the creepy analog for lack of a better word, phone ring was pretty awesome. That's so the Cylons can't jack into the phone lines. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Three out of six now. Anyway. Oh, our percentages are dropping. So that is the Rick storyline in this episode. Uh, at the same time, we've got Andrea over at Woodbury, who talks to the governor earlier on in the episode, and she admits that not only did she actually kind of enjoy the the gladiator tournament from last episode but she really dislikes the fact that she enjoys it and uh, he, he pretty much says you know there's nothing wrong with enjoying it that's just our way of life here and uh, they hit on each other a little bit and eventually he says you know you should come up and work on the wall or she volunteers to work on the wall and uh, he says they're going to get her some archery training so she goes up on the wall where she meets a young girl whose name uh, according to my synopsis anyway is Haley. And they talk about. I thought it was Katniss. <laughs> and they talk about. No, she definitely is not Katniss. Yes. Yeah, it's funny how she talks about how good she is, and then she misses. Yeah, she, she's terrible, and she's also possibly homicidal because she talks about how she killed her dad for the bow, and then Andrea plays it off as no, that's not why you killed him. You killed him because he was a walker, and Haley agrees. But I don't know if I necessarily buy her agreement. I think she might just be homicidal because that's the type of person the governor seems to mm, gravitate towards. They tend to gravita- gravitate towards him, at least for the people on the wall. And this, this was really off to me because, you know, we're led to believe so far that, you know, the governor runs this really tight ship. You know, like, how does he not know that somebody on his wall really can't shoot arrows? Like, it seemed totally out of place that she would be in that position well maybe she yeah. was all they had maybe she she might not be good but maybe she was the best of all the people who I, were left i have a hard time believing that yeah that really threw me off and it wasn't even that she missed if you look at the way she handles that bow she, her that hand is completely it's completely un, unsteady i mean she's shaking and i don't know if maybe that just 
that was just because you know because she just isn't strong enough to pull that bow and it just it was a production thing and it wasn't meant to be a reflection of her character but yeah that whole thing was i just i don't know it just seemed odd to me it's like why would you put somebody in charge of training somebody with a bow and arrow and then have them come across as just just the mechanics of it as being incompetent and then the execution of it being incompetent it is a good question but like they, like you guys said, uh, she shoots at the zombie twice, misses, so finally Andrea grabs a knife, jumps over the wall, and stabs it in the head. To which the whole time Haley's going, you're not supposed to go over the wall, we're not supposed to go over there unless we absolutely have to. So Andrea apologizes, climbs back, and later on the governor calls her in and basically tells her, yeah, good work, kind of, but you're off wall duty from now on. She went rogue. <laughs> So the two of them go out onto a kind of uh, backyard area, maybe a porch. It was hard to tell exactly. They share another drink, uh, some more flirting, some more double entendres, and eventually they end up in bed together. So some TNA for the first time in a while on The Walking Dead, um, or at least more so than we've gotten from uh, Glenn and, and Maggie for the most part. That's more just implied. One of the things with that scene on the patio that I found interesting was the governor talking about how comfortable he was. Like, to him... I it almost like I got the impression that he's happier with his life in this environment than he was with his life outside. I mean, other than his wife and his daughter, well, we know the daughter's zombified. I'm not sure, you know, what the situation exactly was with his wife, but he appears to prefer this life as opposed to the old one. It's like he's got it's like he has more comforts and you know, he gets to do all this crazy stuff and he's respected and people look up to him and um, you know, he's almost like a cult leader uh, at this point. So I just I thought that was interesting that he confided that in in Andrea and it obviously didn't scare her off. Did you guys read the novel? Not I yet. Not. I plan on it, but I haven't yet. The first one you're talking about, right? Rise of the Governor? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of uh, I, I won't spoil that, but it, it, it kind of lines up um, as you learn the way he became the governor or on his road to becoming the governor and what he was, you know, beforehand, uh, it, it would line up if that were... It wouldn't surprise me if Robert Kirkman said, yeah, that's going to be canon. That's going to be his official backstory. I was all the, always under the impression that it was supposed to be the official backstory to the governor for both the comics and the TV show. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was for both, but uh, it's, it, it seems that way now. Very cool. So while that's going on, let's catch back up with Michonne. Uh, Michonne is injured. Uh, she's covered in zombie guts and intestines, which means she's uh, being camouflaged against them, which seems to be kind of a revelation to her. She seems like she hadn't thought of that before, despite using the walkers uh, without arms and jaws kind of for that same purpose before. But apparently she never thought about doing it to herself. So uh, she, she comes across a small town and uh, she she hears a noise of a vehicle coming up, so she hides. And out of the truck that pulls up, jump Maggie and Glenn, who are on a supply run looking for more supplies for the group and for the for the baby, uh, bullets, baby formula, that kind of stuff. Uh, they head into one of the shops when, or they're about to head into one of the shops when, from around the corner, comes another person. It's Merle, who is coming to get a vehicle to head back to Woodbury. <laughs> kind of coincidental. Yes, yeah, that, but I mean, if it's the town that's nearby, he said he was going to find a vehicle to get back to the to the governor. Russ, it reminded me of Expendables too. Like he was, uh, he was Chuck yeah, Norris. He was Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> well, it yeah, I thought the same thing. It's like okay, 
of all this territory all around, these people all seem to converge at this point at the same time right here. And I mean, again, a lot of it is sus- suspension of disbelief. I get it. And this is typical TV show movie kind of coincidence that that happens. So, you know, what's going on here isn't, uh, you know, any different from most other you know, TV shows or movies or whatnot. Um, I, one thing I'd like to back up a little bit, but that scene when she guts that zombie and and all those guts flow, you know, on top of her, and like part of it, it it almost looked like she threw up a little bit, like when she moved to the side. That was just it was just a really cool, nasty, nasty scene uh, when that when when that gutted zombie just was like all over her. Did anybody think because that was kind of a that zombie was kind of a big big guy did anybody think for a minute that when when they were looking for her and they saw that zombie on the ground that she was stuck up like she was hiding underneath him she was using him as a tauntaun yeah 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 <laughs> i did not think that but it's funny i thought that for about half a second i was like man i wonder if she's hiding up under him uh but th- this is interesting before we get back to the scene uh, you know, Merle keeps talking about the red zone, and I think the the governor even mentions it later on in the episode. The red zone, the red zone. They're out towards the red zone. This kind of explains why the governor's people have not come across the prison before. It's in an area so infested with zombies that they don't even go out that far unless they absolutely have to. Possibly. Well, I mean, it's a or, it's a pretty good explanation. Okay. Or, or what? You have a theory, Brad? You want to say it, John, or should I say it? Uh, go ahead. This this whole episode is just full of sloppy writing. <laughs> okay, how so? Okay, Ninja Michonne is pretty sloppy. Coincidence that, you know, Michonne and Glenn and Maggie and Merle wind up in the same place. That's just sloppy. The, uh, the Katniss wannabe uh, Archer is just sloppy. Um... And then we we haven't even gotten to the storyline where Daryl and the prisoner and Carl are walking through the prison. There's another bit of sloppy writing there. Okay, well, we'll get to that one. Yeah. So Michonne is hiding behind a truck. Merle comes around the corner. He sees Glenn and Maggie. They all draw down on each other. Uh, he gets out of them that his brother is alive. He asks them to take him to his brother. Uh, they refuse. They say... You stay here. You need to trust us. You stay here. We'll go get your brother, and if he wants, he'll come out and meet you. But uh, we're all going to leave here in one piece. Uh, you know, he even puts his gun on the ground at first, but he's got uh, Garjulio's gun in his back pocket, or he, his gun in his back pocket, and uh, Garjulio's gun is in his hand and then on the ground. So when they're not expecting it, he pulls out his gun, he fires, they scatter. Glenn comes around the truck and finds Merle uh, with uh, his gun to Maggie's head, and he makes them get in the truck and they say we're not going to take you back to our camp and he says that's fine we're going back to mine or something to that effect i was a little disappointed with maggie she was really spooked in this situation and episodes prior she was starting to get a little more handy with the machete and she was killing a lot of zombies and stuff but she was really shaky when merle was uh staring her down i think she was thrown given that glenn knew who merle was like that added to the tension and to the maybe to the surprise factor, maybe she kind of you know mentally let her guard down just a little bit because this is not somebody that's a complete and total stranger, uh, and that Glenn seemed to know who it was. And then when it all went south, um, you know that just that moment of panic kicked in. 
And I'm sure at this point Glenn has probably told Merle stories to Maggie. I would think. Lots of pillow talk time, so <laughs> sure it's sure it's come up. Up in the guard, guard tower, they got nothing else to, to discuss. Thank you, Brad. So, back at Woodbury, uh, the governor and Andrea are interrupted by a knock at the door, so he throws on a robe. He walks out, he finds Merle, he asks, uh, he asks if they got her, and Merle lies and says, yes, they, they got Michonne. So the governor asks for her head and for her sword. Merle says uh, that, you know, we were, we, were, we were trying to get it, but we we're overrun by zombies, so we had to leave it behind. But she's definitely dead, you can trust me, wink, wink. Uh, but I've got something even better for you. And we see in some part of Woodbury, Glenn tied to a chair, and we know things are about to get pretty ugly on that end of the front. Meanwhile, in the prison, uh, while Rick's storyline's going on, while all these other storylines are going on, uh, Daryl, Axel, and Carl are going through the prison, clearing out some more zombies. Uh, when one sneaks up on him, and they all shoot him, they all shoot him. It's a very uh, Boondock Saints moment when they <laughs> all shoot him uh, with an arrow and two guns. Uh, falls over and, dead. Uh, in the Talking Dead, they referred to him in the in memoriam section as the overkilled zombie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and when they look at the corpse, they find a knife in its neck. And Daryl says, oh, this was Carol's knife. And so he starts to get worried. And earlier on, as they were walking through the prison, they, they found one door that was, there was some zombie knocking coming from the other side of it. And so they said, oh, this zombie's too weak to even open the door. We'll come back and get this one later. Okay. There's your slop, there's your sloppy writing. I did, well, yeah, that was, the Daryl we know would not have pass that up he would have opened the door taken care of business and moved on i understand why they did it yeah it sets up the payoff at the end but well especially still. after what happened to herschel like would you really leave yourself open to get you know and just everything they've been through would you would you leave one that you knew was walking around with the possibility that it might get away and get you i mean obviously they they're more confident in their abilities to fight zombies and and you know they've been hardened but yeah I, I'm with you I, Brad I I don't think that Daryl would let this opportunity go by especially if it was one that he thought was that weak um, you know why why give the opportunity to sneak up on you later and yeah, was that payoff worth it I mean it didn't I don't know I, it, was, it was way telegraphed for me like I knew yeah. when he walked past that I was like oh and then, and when they found the knife I'm like oh that was Carol in that door. See, I never, I never put two and two together with that, and um, I mean, I'm thankful for that because, it, when, I, because I wasn't expecting it all episode. But as soon as we went back to him and he's he's sitting there outside that door, he's got that knife, he's banging it in the the ground, and he's considering, you know, he's he's pumping himself up to go in that door. As soon as we got to that part, I was like, I figured it out. I was like, oh, Carol's in there. He's gonna open the door and almost kill her and find out. Oh, it's Carol. So I'm glad that we went ahead and found her, you know, instead of having to wait three and four, five more episodes. Before they get there, though, earlier on in the episode, him and Carl have a really interesting conversation where Daryl explains that uh, his mother died when she was smoking in bed and the house burned down around her and he wasn't even able to find his mother's remains. The fire was so bad, it just completely ate up everything, you know, kind of kind of trying to relate to Carl, to which Carl says, yeah, I had to shoot my mom. She was out, but I had to shoot her in the head. So, yeah, I killed her. 
and Daryl basically says, sorry about your mom. And Carl says, sorry about yours too. And it's, it's one of these scenes where, I don't know, what was your guys' take on it? I mean, I thought it was very effective. Uh, give you some more information about Daryl's past. It has him relate to Carl. Um, I, I liked it overall. It baffled me, to be honest with you. I was just like, what the hell kind of story is that? Like, why would you... I mean, granted... He's just trying to... He's like, I know what you're going through, man. Yeah, you're not alone yeah, in this. I know, but it just seemed like the mo- the worst thing you could possibly say is like, let me relate this story to you about how my mom died, given the fact in, in a violent, crazy manner, knowing how your mom just died. Like, I, I don't... I I don't know. I... It did. It didn't work for me. I guess is what I'm getting at. It just. It really didn't work for me. To me, it was the zombie like, apocalypse version of a "it gets better" YouTube video. I like the part where um, Daryl, I guess, said when it was happening to him, it was like it wasn't even real, and that's when Carl was like, "Oh, I shot my mom. It was real." That was uh, the highlight of it for me. Um, we should probably, since Jim wasn't able to join us, we should probably bring up his theory that he posted. Saturday afternoon on the Facebook uh, page, he says, got a theory, Rick found a bullet casing on the ground and a burn mark on the cement. What if Carl didn't shoot Lori? That would explain where the Lori leftovers were. How could that zombie have eaten her bones and all? And would be a great shocker later in the season for Rick to be attacked by Lori as a walker. I really liked that idea. Um, You do? I did, yeah. It made the disappearance of her body easier to accept. Um, it happened, a similar thing happened to a character in the comics. Um, we thought this character killed another character. turns out uh, he was unable to do that, and we saw the result of that later. Um, so I kind of thought maybe they might be doing that. Um, I would have liked it simply because it would have explained, it would have been easier for me to accept that instead of the zombie eating 99 percent of Lori. Yeah, I like that part of it, but I really I, I let me rephrase the whole thing. I don't think it's a bad theory. That's not what I'm getting at. I just don't want to see that happen. Like I don't want Lori to come back and attack Rick. I feel like we've been there and done that and Yeah. Yeah, I don't you know, want to see she's gone Lori. now and let her be gone. It would have been worth it to me to explain the the nonsense of the zombie eating her body. Well, I I kind of alluded to this a little bit in the last episode, but since we're talking about it now, Lori's body had to disappear to add and maybe I was expecting them to do a little more with the phone conversation in this episode than they really did but her body being gone I think adds weight to the to the phone call thing if her if her body still is this either, what you were going to try to bring up last week when we talked about did the zombie really eat all of the body? You said you have a theory, and it has to do with the phone call. Yeah, and probably should discuss it next time we record. Yes, yes, and it. Okay, and it, that's this is what yeah. you're we're referring to. Okay, right. Yeah, I mean, I just I felt like the body had to disappear, regardless of how it had to disappear. Whether a zombie completely ate it, whether it was drug off, whether you know, whatever, burned up. What you know, pick your pick your you know demise, but. Because of the phone call, because, you know, Lori being on the other end, if the body is still there, then, it, like in Rick's mind, maybe it's not detached enough uh, for that phone call to either work the way it did or to have the impact to him that it did. Like, if, if, if he's either staring at her, you know, what remains of her body or 
um, or just spent time looking at it or pieces of it or whatever, and this phone rings and he hears his voice, I don't think it works. Um, I think knowing that, that that body is gone and he didn't get, you know, his last image of Lori is her as a whole person, not as um, either remains or as, or a zombie or anything, anything like that. Um, and I just think it, it just all has to do with the phone call. And, and I'm in complete agreement. I, I kind of guess as to what you were going to say last week, and I guess correctly, but I, I'm right there with you. It adds more weight. It's more important, and it just works better if she's completely in that phone and completely in his head and not anywhere else extant in the scene. And at this point, he's crazy enough that we can say, if we want to, that her not being there was a byproduct of his insanity, that she really was there, her body really was on the floor, and he just wasn't seeing it because he was, you know, mental. Well, don't you think Herschel would have said something when he walked in there? What would he say? Oh, it's Lori, huh? Yeah, he would have looked at it. Something. You want me to help you take... I can't... Want me to get somebody to help you carry the body out since I can't do nothing but walk on these crutches? You know, something. I think after he realized that there's no dial tone on that phone and Rick was uh, needed some time, I don't think that would be a good time to bring it up right there. Probably not. Like we've already kind of talked about before... Uh, eventually, after Daryl finds the knife, he comes back uh, to that door, and he's pacing back and forth. He's kind of stabbing the ground with a knife. He doesn't want to open the door because he assumes he's going to find a zombified Carol in there. He opens the door, and inside is not a zombified Carol, but a very weak, uh, almost unconscious Carol, sitting, kind of half sitting, half laying on the ground. He picks her up, and he carries her back to the group. And the scene that ends our episode, Rick heads outside. He looks through the gate. And he sees Michonne, covered in zombie goo, carrying a shopping basket filled with baby formula. The two sides have come together, and we end our episode. Can we go over, uh, because again, at first I was like, another big coincidence that she made it to the prison. But wasn't the uh, the princess, holy crap, wasn't the prison mentioned earlier? Yeah, Glenn and Maggie both mentioned the prison several times. So all she had to do was find a map in that store, find the okay. nearest prison, head there. Right. Okay. I think. Yeah. I wanted. Actually, I think we should mention that definitely. Just I think because, they only uh, actually said the the word prison once. Well, but it was at least mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's a lot different than several times. I'm I'm pretty sure it was several, but they definitely say we're going to bring this stuff back to the prison when we get back to the prison. Something along those lines. Enough to tell he, her that's where they are. Glenn opens the door, and she he walks in. All those birds fly out, and then he walks in, and she points at the ground and says, Get that duck. He's like, huh? She says, Pick up that duck. Uh, something about a kid shouldn't have to grow up in a prison. With no toys, something along those lines. Something like that, and that's, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the, only, that's the only time I remember them saying. I realize I'm being very picky. But. <laughs> Just a little. So that is the complete episode recap. Hey, is it just me, or are we off tonight? Really? We are definitely really off. Yeah, I don't know. What's going on, I what, think it's, what's going I, on with this? I think it's the episode, honestly. I really <clears throat> I think it's the episode. I think it's back to the, you know, we, we talked early on that when they kind of do the split, like when they do this episode is about these characters, and they don't really touch on the other ones, that it seems like it's more cohesive. And because this one... It, it kind of bounced back and forth. There was a lot of, you know, several plot lines kind of all going at once. And I think just, and and I think from my perspective, I think, and we'll get to ratings later, but I think this episode was probably the weakest episode of the season so far. 
and not that it was a bad episode. I just think like structurally and and like we said, the writing was off. And I think it's just hard for I don't know. I'm I'm I agree. I'm having a hard time kind of grasping or, or articulating, you know, everything that I have to say about this episode. Um, it's, yeah, it just feels like we're it's like we haven't recorded an episode in about a year and we're trying to get back in the swing of things. That's what it feels like to me. It's got to Jim... speak for yourself, so I'm locked in. Yeah. <laughs> it's because Jim's gone. That's what it is. We're, we're, you know, we're down maybe one. Jim's the glue. Jim's the glue that holds it together, and that's probably... Jim's the Frank of WDTV. Yeah. Most of the people that just heard you say that have no idea what you're talking well, about. Well, then they should listen to Half Hour Wasted, the wonderful podcast I'll they can stop. find at hhwled.com. Stop it. I will not. Make me a big bully. Bunch of hacks. <laughs> It, it's odd because I think the Rick stuff worked really, really well. Like, I thought that was extremely well done, especially the way the phone kind of cut in and out and there's a lot of distortion and things like that. I think that was that was solid. Um, it's just the rest of it, I think. I don't know. I just I just had some real, real problems with it. So I just I have having a real hard time accepting the character of Andrea. Oh, I'm know, past that. She had. She had such potential, and then, you know, I, I was just about to say something very crude, and that's not the type of person I am, But so I won't say it, but it's, this is just not... I'm ready. You know how people were hating on Lori in the first season or two? I'm ready for Andrea to go. I don't. If I never saw Andrea again, I wouldn't mind at all. She knows why they call it Woodbury. <laughs> See, I I like Andrea's storyline. She's not the Andrea from the comics. I, I, I have accepted that. I've gotten over it. I like where they've taken her in the show. It's a completely different route, but at least she's a consistent character. She, she latches on to power wherever she can find it. She makes bad decisions, but that is her character, and I'm fine with it. She is, I, she's I, consistently a hoe bag. Eh. <laughs> okay. I will say, I will that's say a this character is, trait. Yeah, True. I will. I will say this about Andrea in the comic versus Andrea in the show. Even though it's again, we're kind of harping on the one. In my opinion, I think Andrea quickly became a very one-note character. She was kind of known for one thing and uh, was always kind of the go-to person. You know, sp- you know, we've talked about it before. She's a crack shot, and that's kind of what her role is in in the comic. And it's it's pretty much stayed that way. I mean, she, you know, she's wavered here and there, and there's been things come up, especially so, somewhat recently. But for the most part, that's her deal. The one thing I like about the show is we thought she was going towards that, and now she's pulled back. I think her character has become more complex, and I think a lot of it has to do with how the other characters have been positioned in the show so far and where she's at in Woodbury now. But I, I like it. I think, um, again, I think it's going to make for some interesting conflict coming up when you know eventually these two camps meet and we know they will um so i I think i think the whole testing of loyalty and things like that are going to be are going to make it a lot more interesting than than what we would have got if if she would have stuck to the andrea that that we're accustomed to so i don't i don't have a problem with it what do you guys think of merle's intentions for daryl do you think he's really excited to get Daryl in camp with the governor, or do you think he's going to try to tear Daryl's throat out as soon as he finds him? Well, I don't no, think he I has mean, any reason to kill Daryl. Yeah, I was thinking about that. The last thing that, that Merle remembers about Daryl is that they were 
on the same side of things, so to speak. They were of like minds. He has no idea how much bonding has taken place between Daryl and these these people. Cause That's a good point. So he could actually be worried that, you know, they've left Daryl behind legitimately or, or done similar things that happened to Merle. Right. He, I mean, he doesn't really lump Daryl into getting handcuffed to the roof or whatever. I think no, he'll the, still be emotionally, verbally, and physically uh, abusive towards uh, Daryl. I think that's just part of his character, but no more than he was in the past. Yeah, I guess what threw me off was the uh, hallucinations that we've had in the past with Daryl and Merle, and how Merle acts with Daryl. I guess that sort of swayed my opinion as to how Merle might react to Daryl. I, I think but that's just that's in Daryl's head. So yeah, I think it's going to be more interesting too because I think. Daryl, it's it's either been explicit or hinted at, or you know maybe it's just I've I've heard so many Norman Reedus interviews and panels and things like that, but it's pretty common at this point, or at least known at this point, that Daryl is is basically a, a child of abuse. Like his brother abused him, he was he was in an abusive household, and I think with this group over the past nine months, he's he's gotten past that like he's found his place he's comfortable people look up to him people respect him he's you know you know him and carol have kind of bonded he's kind of he thinks of carl as like a younger brother and and they get along and now there's this baby i think when he sees merle he's going to have a very different attitude towards merle and i think merle you know kind of like you guys have said is going to think that it's the same Daryl he left, and I think that's going to be the cool contention between the two of them. Is they've both moved on. They're both, you know. I think I think from Merle's perspective, he's probably off the junk, and he's you know at least sobered up. I think he's still an a hole, but I think he's expecting Daryl to still be this subservient, you know, person that that Merle controls. And I think when he sees that that's not how who Daryl is anymore, I think that's where the real tension is going to is going to get amped up and I think it's going to make for some really cool um some really cool moments. Yeah, I I I completely agree with that. I'm I'm looking forward to that confrontation. Um you know, he the first thing he's going to do when he sees Daryl for the first time is expect Daryl just to immediately go with him. Go with your brother. I don't think uh Merle is making it out of this season. I think you're right. I I just don't and it has nothing to do with how they're writing things so far. It's just that uh, you know, we we said it in the past. Rooker does so much other stuff in film that I don't think he's going to commit to staying on the television show full time. And I think there's a lot of ways you could kill Merle that would make it cool. Well, who do you want to see kill Merle? How do you want to see him go? Do you want to see Daryl do it? Yeah, I want to see Merle with uh, his gun to Carol's head, and Daryl puts an arrow through him. How's that? That definitely would be cool. I I would go with that. All right, guys. Episode ratings. I will give it a three and a half. I did like it better than last week, um, so that's a good sign. I, I did feel there was some sloppy sloppy parts or sloppily written parts. Uh, I agreed with Brad on a bunch of that stuff, but I, a three and a half. It was, it was better. I liked the way it ended. I'm glad that we'll have Michonne in camp and sort of cut the different storylines down. So instead of uh, going three different places, we'll we'll be down to two, hopefully. And hopefully they'll get together real quick, and th- there should be some fireworks. Three and a half uh, ridiculous coincidences. 
I should mention that uh, on the Twitter, uh, Buster the Zombie, he follows our, our Twitter feed. Uh, he is not happy that I want, um, wanted to change the ratings from Buster ratings to T-Dogs. So I'm sorry about that, Buster. Um, you'll always have a special place in my heart and on my dresser, by the way, um, standing in front of Daryl with his crossbow. But uh, I'm going to give it three and a half T-Dogs. Um, there was things about this episode I loved. I love the end scene when Rick and Michonne are looking at each other through the fence. Really, really liked that a lot. I love the phone call bit. Um, but there was just too many, you know, Ninja, as much as I love Michonne, Ninja Michonne is, is pretty silly. Um, and uh, I didn't buy the Daryl passing up the door thing. And that really put a kink in it for me. So I'll give it a three and a half T-Dogs. I guess I'll be the negative Nancy. I give this episode three uh, I'll go old school. I'll give it three busters. Um, I, I It's funny because I think I give Andrew Lincoln and the phone call portion of this episode like five and the rest of it like a two. Um, I, I, I just think, situ- like I said, situationally, I think things were a little awkward. I think the writing was a little off. Um, I, 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 you know, it just it just some things didn't didn't work for me. I like where the episode ended. I, I, and by ended, I mean where the the players are on the board now. I like the fact that Glenn and Maggie have been, you know, kidnapped in Woodbury. I like that Andrea is there. Uh, I like the fact that you know Michonne has found the prison. So it's all starting to kind of swirl together, um, just in time for us to hit that eight up eighth episode halfway point. So um, so yeah, but uh, but overall three. I, I think this is the weakest episode of of uh, season three so far, in my opinion. Well, if Russ is going to be the negative Nancy, I'll be the positive Polly, and I'll say uh, four and a half. I, I really did enjoy this episode. The ninja thing didn't bother me at all. The coincidence, at least of in terms of Merle and Michonne happening across Glenn and Maggie, I literally cannot think of a scenario where these two groups who don't know where each other are come together in any way that's not a coincidence. You know, aside from... Big explosion goes off in the distance. Both groups rush to find it, which is still a coincidence um, that the explosion would happen in the first place. I don't know how they get around that. And for for me, this version worked. You know, there's a small town. They both happen to be going to the nearest small town. That's where they meet up. Um, in general, I thought the writing was fine. I, I kind of get what you guys are saying about uh, Haley and her terrible bow hunting skills. Again, didn't really bother me. I, you know, all these things, you can always make an explanation in your head, and that's what I tend to do. Um, when I can't do that, that's where the real problems come in for me. So four and a half, I enjoyed the episode. Four and a half what? Four and a half stars. How about that? Whoa. <laughs> Never heard of that before. <laughs> it was very generic. He thinks he's on real. He, th- he thinks he's on an episode of Real Heroes. It was very generic. Four and a half cold-burning stars, because I just watched that episode of Doctor Who yesterday. Real quick on the Facebook, uh, we got a ton of ratings from our friends in the Facebook group, which uh, anyone can join. You may have to um, request to be added, but uh, we'll get you in there as soon as we can. Uh, David gave it a three, better than last week. Uh, Thank God it looks like it's back on form. Uh, Five from Luke Smith. He doesn't know. He just really enjoyed this one, so that's fair enough. Um, 2.75 from Allison. And then there's a 4 from Christopher, a 5 from Newt, a 5 from Alicia, 4.25 from Shane. So a pretty good 
pretty good range. We're looking at anything from fives to 2.75s for this one. So a little bit of a bigger spread. Everard, 4.75. Mary, 4.25. Robert, 3 out of 5. Um, there's some really good comments here. You guys should join the Facebook group to uh, get in on the fun. It's a little much to all read on an episode, but uh, we thank everybody for contributing. On the Twitter, we got 4.5 from Crispy Lunkett. 4.5 to 5 busters. I guess average that would be 4.75 from Jimmy in Georgia. Shogo 67 says 4 out of 5. Oh, can I shout out Shogo 67? Please. Please do. He's a listener from France. No way. And Bonjour. Ago, yes. Months ago, I uh, put out a call on Twitter that they were releasing the raid at play.com in a special steelbook case with jock art on the cover uh and play.com does not ship to the u.s and anthony shogo uh was good enough to order it have it sent to his house and then shipped it to me from france and it just came today that's awesome yeah, yeah. so thank you very much i uh i'll have to show you guys i know the comic book nerds know jock who does some really cool art, and uh, it's his art on a chrome steelbook case, which uh, is awesome, and I collect that sort of thing, and I love the movie, and I appreciate it a lot. I think, John, what you're trying to say is merci beaucoup. Sure. I think that's the English pronunciation of the French words. <laughs> <laughs> merci beaucoup. With, with a little uh, North Texas twang to it. Right. Merci beaucoup. Say it, John. Merci beaucoup. There you go. All right, we got one more star rating from Mr. Aaron Newworth from the Out Now podcast with Aaron and Abe. It says, Hey, dudes, I'm wriggling my toes with joy as I thought this week's episode was very solid. It has three main plot lines, which all deliver in various ways. Rick versus phone was well handled, even for those of us who knew what was up. I like the way the episode utilized the plot thread from the comics, and it works better as something that was resolved in one episode than multiple ones. I agree completely. Yeah, if they would have stretched that out for, you know, several episodes, I think it would have got old. In the comics, I, I, I agreed, it works fine, but in TV, I think it would have just drug everything to a grinding halt. And just to be clear, I think Aaron is wriggling his ghost toes. <laughs> it sounded a little weird when he was just wriggling his toes, but I think he's referring to the, uh, uh, who said the ghost leg? Herschel. Herschel, The thank only you. person with no leg. Correct. Andrew Lincoln was great in all those scenes. Michonne versus Merle was the fun part of this episode as we got to see both characters in action and fill the roles of who we know them as. Michonne is still quietly badass, but more active this week as we see things from her point of view, while Merle continues to show that he is not to be trusted by anyone. Lastly, Andrea versus the seduction powers of the governor. While Andrea is still a character I don't care too much for, her dialogue this week and the writing in general was improved and giving her something, which in this case was the fact that she did like the games but didn't like sh that she liked them, does enough to make her character more tolerable. Along with that, Carol is alive, not to my surprise at all, but at least we get to see Daryl continue to be awesome and he had a nice scene with Carl. And lastly, I hope Glenn will be all right. Four and a half busters from Mr. Aaron Newworth. It's funny how intelligent Aaron is, but how often he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Aaron's full reviews are always on walkingdeadtv.com, so if you'd like to read more, these are kind of the paraphrased versions, but uh, you can head on over to the website and check out his full review of every show, and he usually gets them up 
pretty quickly, uh, usually very early Monday morning, I would say. So that's it for this week's episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast. As always, you can find all of our great shows at walkingdeadtv.com or hhwlod.com, as well as all of our contact information. Also, a special shout-out this week to the Baltic Effect podcast. That's at b-a-l-t-i-c-e-f-f-e-c-t.com. I guess start on their most recent Walking Dead episode, and we had a lot of fun. It is an explicit podcast, though, so just be aware. And so until there's no more room left in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember... We never let our own turn. Have a good week, everybody. And next week on The Walking Dead, this is, of course, the semi-spoilery, but not really, synopsis for next week's episode that we have from AMC. So if you don't want to hear it, turn away now. The synopsis we have for the episode entitled, When the Dead Come Knocking, is... The governor seeks information from Glenn and Maggie, who have been taken prisoner by Merle. Meanwhile, at the prison, Michonne forces Rick's hand. Sounds like a good one. See you next week, everybody. Good night. Good night. Audacity keeps asking if it's in yet. That's what she said. Exactly. That's what she says. Okay. <clears throat> I can't find that audio, by the way, Joe. Well, you're not the podcaster you used to be. Nope. It's not the podcaster Absolutely we need, not. but the one that we deserve right now or something. This is episode 77. Does that sound right? Is that a question? Uh, yeah, that's why it went up at the end and then ended with a <laughs> question 77? mark. 77? <laughs> Didn't you hear the inflection in his voice? 77. Maybe I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, but I don't 77. think so. 77. Yes. 77. 77. Oh, so not yep. 77, but 77. 77? Well, this is enthralling. Anyway. Maybe this episode should be called Pounded. <laughs> because of Andrea. I get you. Pause for laughter. Or pound. <laughs> Pause for laughter. <laughs> I don't get it. We'll explain no, when you're older, Brad. All right. Seriously, I don't, I don't get it. Well, we'll explain it when you move to a blue state. <laughs> or <laughs> count. <laughs> what did I miss? Do you need me to draw you a picture? Because I'm not that good. You'll be more Jordan's confused. Jordan's grumpy, so I'm making it a harder edit for him. Well, we should all talk when Jordan talks. That way he'll what? Have, yes. we'll have much fun. We'll have much fun. He'll have much fun. I'm sleepy. Let's go. Hardcovers, various items for. Oh, I get it. I just, I just got it. Pounded, hound. I, I get it now. Sorry, I'm a little slow, but I get it because of what happens in the episode. I get it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that whole thing's gonna be cut. So, Russ, you can just start over if you'd like. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm gonna cut the first part anyway, so the punchline isn't gonna make any sense. You're right. (sighs) I'm sorry. Hound. This is why right. the episodes take so long to come out, listeners. We're all adults here. Yeah. Well, with the exception of Jordan. He's the young one, but um, no, nah, I'm kidding. But uh, Hey, I can rent a car now, thank you very much, if, awesome. I, if I wanted to for some reason.